This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Livermore's Lab Rabbit. AI tsunami warnings. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell. That's Tiffany Trader. And Tiffany, This Week in HPC, a couple of things coming out of Rican in Japan. The first, an announcement from the Rican CCS International Symposium, which is additional details of an interesting feature that's going to go into the El Capitan supercomputer at Lawrence Livermore National Labs, and it's a near-node local storage unit from HPE, codenamed Rabbit. That's right. So this this uh, information comes from a keynote delivered by Livermore Computing CTO Brana Stisupinski, who provided this first public look at the uh, HPE Cray Storage Innovation Rabbit. This was a, uh, came as part of the Coral 2 RFP response that Livermore fielded from Cray before it was uh, acquired thereafter by HPE. Um, and this was uh, for the, the system that we now know as El Capitan, which will be coming to Livermore, this exascale class supercomputer expected at Livermore at late 22 uh, 2022, early 2023. Uh, and what Rabbit is, is it's a 4U solution for near-node local storage, as they're calling it. It's It has 18 SSDs uh, and one AMD EPIC storage processor. And these all go into the uh, back of the Cray XE racks where the switch modules are housed and they can switch out what would normally be the switch modules and put this additional storage in there and it's a real cool it's a really cool implementation and it um it it will support you know the all important checkpointing work work workload that's so important at the labs but um, it also it also supports other storage use cases involving uh, res resolving network bursts, so that's sort of that burst buffer uh, use case, opt and as well as optimizing um, different input scenarios and even uh, running an analysis processes uh, in situ. Yeah, the most interesting thing to me about this architecture, we're looking at these 18 SSDs in 4U. Now that's 16 active drives and two spares. There's two spares built in. I wanted to see how those are architected into the system with what they're calling near node local. And it kind of manifests in two ways. There's one is a direct attach into the nearby compute node through what they're describing as bulkhead cables. It appears to be part of a PCIe fabric when I look look at the uh, the charts that accompany the announcement but then also they can be aggregated into a, gl a global namespace luster file system where uh, where it's it looks like all right here's here's part of the overall storage that's accessed through this node but it's available to the entire system so you get this near node fast storage that's accessible to the system in two different ways and you talked about how that's attached in uh, to the back of the system like a switch module they described how they're switching those uh, swapping them out I should say rather than switching for the switches swapping mm -hmm. them out um, and uh, the the implication is that it's not that you can't have both a switch and the the rabbit storage but it sounded to me like they were just out of room in the rack so they were trading off one thing for another thing because they had 
more connectivity built in than they they actually needed and they're trading off uh, some uh, excess system bandwidth that they don't need for their particular workflows in order to get this near node local storage that'll be a lot faster for certain applications and Bronis uh, essentially said this was the convincing factor, the the carrot, if you will, that uh, really got them to select this HPE solution for El Capitan. Yeah, that's right. And uh, one of the most interesting use cases, as I was uh, alluding to earlier, is the ability to run both post facto and in transit data analysis in containers running on the Rabbit CPU, that, that AMD Epic CPU. Um, this is on account of the Rabbit software allowing the customer code, the Livermore in this case, to be run in, in containers on those processes, on those processors. Um, and this use case, that, that use case also ties to Livermore's choice of a resource manager for El Capitan, which is Flux, uh, a departure from Slurm, which we're seeing is a, a very popular um, HPC uh, manager right now, um, but Flux was designed by Livermore. Uh, it has awareness of the local compute nodes relationship to the SSDs. And so that's why they're they're implementing it, it there. And, you know, this may sound sound similar uh, to you, to the, the burst buffer um, to solutions that we've heard about. And we, we know that Cray had that technology with the data warp um, software, uh, but Rabbit really takes this to, to the next level, the next evolution and, and, and smoothing out the I.O. patterns in, in multiple directions, uh, and Livermore plans to further augment this capability with a custom file system called uh, UnifyFS, so they'll be able to smooth out the, those I.O. patterns um, to the network and to the SSDs. Yeah, there's a couple of things in what you're talking about there. Now, Flux is not something we've seen really widely deployed at this point. Uh, obviously, Slurm is something that's a lot more common in HPC. But what I really do like is the fact they're leveraging the fact that they have that AMD Epic storage processor that they can use that for processing on the local data in certain scenarios that that doesn't just have to be used to direct traffic for uh, for data IO or storage management you've got a processor on board you can use the processor it in fact augments the compute capacity I don't love that we need to design yet another file system for this with Unify FS I think we've got a lot of file systems that are out there um, and uh, it would have been nice to see if uh, one of those can be applied to this but uh, to the extent that maybe there's some new functionality that they need uh, all right so now we're going to develop another new file system called Unify I don't know if that'll ever escape the national lab level or or, or beget another new project somewhere else but it's certainly interesting and uh, and I, I like seeing uh, uh, how storage is developing here it is a further intensification of tiering of storage which we continue to see uh, rabbit is yet another new implementation like you were pointing out with uh, uh, burst buffers this is another new way to do uh, tiering with SSDs and uh, I think as long as we're looking at a, a mix of uh, of NVMe or, or on-node storage, the near local storage, and then various forms of storage arrays, let alone archives, um, tiering is just going to be something that, that we're dealing with in, in any of these large-scale deployments. Yeah, and um, it does offer up some, some interesting use cases, too. Uh, additional ones that uh, were, were mentioned include being able to use Rabbit for caching OS files, uh, so these input 
input scenarios, so caching OS files in order to reduce boot time, and also uh, the idea that Rabbit will be an efficient input mechanism for machine learning model training as well. So some interesting things to look for there. Well, yeah. I mean, if you go back to when clusters were earlier in their deployment, it was pretty common that you would see a hard disk as part of the cluster node, a spinning disk, and it would get used not only for boot, but also scratch. And then over time, we moved toward diskless nodes and network attached storage. Now we've seen more on-node storage and near-node storage coming back as uh, flash storage or SSDs. So it's really bringing these tiers back in, and those are applicable to a, a lot of uh, use cases that really leverage having that data in closer to the processor. Okay, let's go also this week in HPC to another announcement uh, coming out of Recon. This is a partnership using the Fugaku supercomputer. They've announced that they've trained an AI model to monitor for tsunamis and also predict how tsunamis will move inland for better, uh, for better evacuation warnings. Yeah, this is a project between Riken and uh, Fujitsu, uh, with along with the International Research Institute of Disaster Science at Tohoku University and the Earthquake Research Institute at the University of Tokyo. Um, and as you said, it's uh, using they've they're using Fugaku to train. They've used Fugaku to train AI to predict flooding from tsunamis in real time. Uh, a note about the the timing of this: um, it coincides with the 10th anniversary of the catastrophic, what they call the 311 tsunami uh, 10 years ago um, in northeastern Japan that was uh, set off by a 9.0 magnitude earthquake. Uh, it was absolutely devastating in its destruction and, and killed uh, 16,000 people with thousands uh, more injured or thousands missing. So this this work that's coming out now, this important work, um, is, is uh, coming up on the anniversary of that um, events. Yeah, the number of timing coincidences that have come along with this are are almost eerie. First of all, I was astonished to, to realize that that uh, the great uh, East Japan earthquake and tsunami were were just about ten years ago in March of 2011. But at that time, it was right after that that Fujitsu installed the K supercomputer at Riken. It hit the June 2011 top 500 list. Then at over eight petaflops as what then became the new world's most powerful supercomputer that Fujitsu managed to deliver that computer early um, in the midst of the aftermath of the tsunami and, uh, and nuclear catastrophes that were going on at the time. I thought it was an overwhelming achievement. And now we're talking about the Fugaku supercomputer, which was installed at Riken 10 years, well, nine years later by Fujitsu and was installed early during a pandemic in order to respond to the pandemic. Now we've got work going on in the Fugaku supercomputer that's going to be used to better model the, the tsunami progression using uh, data sensors, what they're calling waveform uh, 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 data from uh, from the from the uh, land and water sensors, and now that the model is trained, this can be run on a PC uh, to a, a high degree of accuracy uh, within a few seconds. It's fairly impressive, and they use the Fugaku supercomputer on the back end to generate 
20,000 tsunami simulations to, in order to train the model to get the training data. It's, it's kind of an amazing full circle uh, arc uh, of this application. Yeah, as you mentioned, Japan is always on the cutting edge of using their supercomputers for the public good, for for the uh, urgent com urgent computing matters such as these. The the Kate computer was used for tsunami and flood modeling when it, as soon as it went into service. As you said, Fugaku was put into service early for pandemic uh, research, and and now it's being used um, for this this AI modeling as well. And, and out of all those timing things I mentioned, one I forgot was just days before this was announced, uh, just a week ago, there was a, a 7.1 earthquake in the same region that they're calling an aftershock nearly 10 years later of the original 9.0 magnitude earthquake, that that original one was so powerful that it could still have a, a magnitude 7.1. I saw another report uh, in Japan Times that said 7.3 magnitude aftershock uh, nearly 10 years later and now we haven't seen reports of fatalities from that at this point but uh, but still a, another potential major disaster and that coming just days before this announcement of this Fugaku trained model yeah it's it's really unbelievable that um, that such a strong earthquake can happen or an aftershock can happen 10 years later and you know thanks to this modeling they're doing now they, um, you know, they say that they'll be able to, as you said, they'll be able to run this model in, in seconds on ordinary PCs, you know, that now that it's already been trained on Fugaku, and then they can contribute to more rapid evacuation notices and, and disaster preparedness. And they said they're they're planning on moving forward and, and refining and, and bringing this model to the broader, broader Japanese and global community and continue to refine it and make it more accurate as well. This is a very practical sort of model. Some of the imagery from it is wonderful to be able to say with a high degree of accuracy who should stay put, who should evacuate, and what route should they take in order to best avoid the tsunami uh, and minimize casualties. Uh, really a very impressive application and exactly the sort of thing we like to see from our world's most powerful supercomputers. Yep, that's right. And they, they also mentioned some of the AI capabilities of, of Fugaku that helped to simulate these uh, 20,000 offshore tsunami waveforms that went into the AI model use, using that as training data. They said that the, um, the simulations were accelerated by uh, built-in AI features uh, such as uh, the Fujitsu software technical computing suite, um, various AI frameworks, as well as the one API the, the Intel effort, the One API Deep Neural Network Library, One DNN, all help to speed up the AI learning on the uh, the CPU. Fantastic news! All right, the Tiffany, thanks for helping me run down the news this week in HPC. We'll be back again, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.